we acknowledge the original owners of the land on which we podcast, whose stories were told for thousands of years. Today, we are recording in Mianjin. We pay our respects to elders past and present who may be listening. Sovereignty was never ceded. A quick note before we get started that there may be some swearing in today's podcast. If you don't like swearing or usually listen with children in the car, you have been warned. Our guest today is Trady. <laughs> hello. Yeah. Welcome. Hello, hello. Hello. Good day to everybody. Hi. How are we going? So, what do you do in the NDIS? Wow. Thanks for starting that conversation like that. Just want to let you all know that I'm currently in Queensland, which is out of the norm for me. Um, and I'm here with my lovely partner, Jamie Bajaya. Who eventually will be Jamie Naidu. Jokes. We're having <laughs> wonderful conversations about this. So yes, um, I am the founder and managing director of an organization called Chosen Family. Uh, my partner and I started this organization last year actually. So we're fairly new in the space um, as a provider, but I've been in the NDIS space, the legal space, or the community services space for quite a long time. Um, Chosen Family was birthed out of a desire and need for organizations to service individuals who often fall within the gaps. So a large demographic of individuals we support are those who have drug and alcohol interventions, maybe come from jail, so forensic participants. Um, and then there's all that overlap between psychosocial disability and even the LGBTQIA community. Awesome. That sounds amazing. So is all of that what makes you different? Well, they have me, darling. That's what makes them different. <laughs> no, no, no. I apologize. I'm humble, very humble, as you can hear. Um, no, I, what I would say is yes and no. I think it's looking at participants with a non-judgmental lens and then trying to bring joy back into the sector. We've become quite commercialized and I think we've forgotten why we've stepped into the space of helping people and assisting people. Um, so we've lost that sense of understanding our interconnectedness as human beings. Um, and I'm hoping to bring that back and revitalize the sector with that lens and that joy and that passion again. Oh, that sounds, that sounds awesome. Um, and we were saying just before we pressed record... <laughs> About your amazing jacket. Thank you. Thank that you. I have to let the people know about. Um, and everyone will be able to see it on um, our social media. Yes. So um, definitely have a look at those photos <laughs> that the lovely Jamie is going to take for us. Um, so, Sam, have you got some questions? I do. I'd love to hear how you work within the within the justice space and how you get how you do that connection, how you facilitate it when people come out, what sort of um, connections you sort of form within the, the, the community circle, and and how you just approach that in general because it's a it's a very interesting space. There's there's lots of stuff that happens with it. it it's really hard.
cards for people that have been in institutions or in prison or yes. within the justice system to transition out of that into the mainstream. Um, people with a disability that are in that are adversely impacted even more so. Um, so just want to run us through how you work with those people, how you work in the space, and um, yeah, just some, maybe some really cool things that sort of happened with that. Yeah, so um, it's really, really hard, as you mentioned, being in this space or in the justice space or where someone has all those interventions. Um, we know this, this, the stats and statistics currently state that about 92% of participants that are released will, in some sense, reoffend within the first seven days that they're out. And that's just because, you know, they might not have supports that are in place to help them or, you know, there's no one navigating um, what conditions are like now that they're back outside in the community opposed to when they went in. Um, obviously, there's a breakdown of family relationships, which also kind of compounds those uh, um, feelings of isolation, of, you know, disappointment with family and trying to build those relationships again can be quite difficult. So once again, I think being holistic is ultimately what you need to, to be when you're dealing with someone who is being released from the justice system back into society but also being extremely upfront and honest so I think the niceties and the way that we often will um, communicate with our participants looks quite differently when you're dealing with someone who's come from jail um, I think they have a very pragmatic understanding of the world it's very transactional it's very um, brutal in its nature when it comes to honesty and, you know, them sharing their feelings as well. Um, and forgive me for saying this, but I often get called a black cunt at least twice a day. Now, it is it has become a morning affirmation for me. Um, and I'm like, yes, I am, darling, moving on. And then, you know, once, once I think a lot of the participants realize that you're not going to be offended... Um, by the use of language, you know, you're not going to be offended by those trivial things, ultimately, that you're actually there to support them properly. Um, yeah. I believe it's them testing you as well. You know, it's like, let's see, like a child will test boundaries yeah. and see. Where's that, where's that line? Yeah. And do you love me? Do you? Because you're saying you're here to support me, but do you really mean it? Or are you just here after the money? So I find that space quite refreshing because when I'm having conversations with those who are transitioning back into community, I just love um, the honesty and the transparency. There's no, forgive my words again, there's no bullshit. There's no, you can't tell them, you know, that you're here in the space to bring them equity and they'll look at you and be like, bro, what, what are you actually talking about? So yeah. being in this space has been really refreshing and actually reminds you and brings you back down to earth. So you're extremely humble because that's when you actually need to just connect them because your actions speak louder than your words. So they're not listening to what you're saying. They're like, show me what you can do for me and how you're going to help me understand and frame. Yep, I have a disability and I have criminal interventions. You know, often they have to report to parole or there's bail conditions. And then it's also sitting with them and going, these are the expectations when you're out in community. Um, you have to report to these people, you know, and this is for your own safety as well as everybody else. Um, very different to taking someone out just for a coffee. 
and having a good old yarn with them. Um, and then also you're dealing with families. So we often forget that there's the whole support network that we're also trying to navigate conversations with when they are released. Um, so we have a lot of participants we've supported who um, may also have an indigenous background. And we all know that there's overwhelming evidence, you know, that they're also impacted when it comes to them coming out of community and then sometimes their children may be taken away from them and the system is quite it's quite overwhelming um, when you're supporting someone like that but we found it a great joy to be that intermediary as well even though that's not our role I think it just comes down as well to framing it for family and saying if this person's going to thrive and they're going to stay outside this is how you have to do it I hope yeah. that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's, it's, it's, it's a great answer and I, I love your approach to it because there's, there's not a lot within the justice system for people when they're starting to look at being that, when they've got that release date coming up. There, there's not, for, for mainstream able-bodied, um, it, there's not much supports when they transition out of it's just here's the door, go find your own way, don't forget to stop it at the parole officer. But yes. the challenges that a person with a disability face, or depending on the time that they've been in the institution, how long they've, what sort of background they've had, whether or not they've had some more support levels than some others, versus some people that just have no one, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's it's really it's refreshing to hear that that, that take and uh, having thick skin definitely is <laughs> a, <laughs> within that space is definitely something that you've got to take on everything with a grain, grain of salt and just keep on moving forward because yeah as you said they're definitely testing you yes and i think with a lot of our clients that are coming from that justice space once again it's as i've said it's not about what you're saying it's about what you're doing and your actions actually need to reflect um what you, the goals that they have are so ultimately i often tell participants who are being released listen I'm building on your capacity and your motivation. I'm not here to do things for you because that's often as well, just within the NDIS space, this is a rampant thing. We've taken away self-determination. And I'm like, no, your right to self-determination is still there. Ultimately, you're on bail conditions, not me. So I'm going to hold you accountable as well, that when you tell me that you're not going to mess around, that you are serious, that you do want to see your children, you do want to build those relationships I'm working with you with your goals, but also I, I often have to inform them and my workers, we're not um, the police. We're not here to enforce the law. There's none of that. We're just here to support this participant, build on their capacity that's existing, that's there, and kind of prompt them and encourage that motivation. But when it comes to like being overly parenting and, you know, trying to tell them how to lead their lives that's something that i just i refuse to do yeah that's awesome i love that approach um and one thing i wonder is how do you go about finding support workers who are happy to work in that space <laughs> Great question. because i think it would take it it does take a very special kind of person to be really hap happy to to do that yes so just with any of the participants we support we're quite open and we say listen because we're non-judgmental 
and because we we currently work within this complex space or with people <laughs> oops people ooh. sorry there sorry there <laughs> it's, it's not the first time I've made someone choke like that from what I've said it's scandalous everybody it's scandalous <laughs> the type of support we do is scandalous <laughs> struggle like it, it, we, we know everyone in the industry is struggling with finding staff and yep. finding competent staff levels yes. so it, it's um we found or when you're when you're looking at and, and how you approach staff yep. have you got sort of like a bit of a, a formula that you go through what you're looking for um have you had have you found any sort of like cool or success ways that you've been able to find to align the staff capabilities <laughs> with those participants Yes, so I think it's more, as I've said, like with all our staff, when, when they come in, it's having those earnest conversations and giving those examples within, even within induction, <laughs> um, even within induction, you know, it's informing them that yes, you'll be working with people from a different large demographic. They have varying histories and pasts and this is what it could look like. Ultimately, um, you're here supporting an individual. We're not going to focus on their past actions. I'm not going to frame it and say, oh, this is a justice client. Because ultimately, when it comes to humanity, all of us are looking for the same thing. Yeah. And, you know, the seven domains of care that we often talk about in out-of-home care, for example, because I used to work in that space, um, education, all those basic human rights that you're looking for, safe home, you know, access to food, all those things, you know, healthy relationships. I believe all support workers should be trained in that, the overarching framework, and then kind of just apply that with whichever participant they're dealing with, whatever background. So it's never like justice specific. (coughs) It's not me going, okay, just like this is what you do. Um, And I, I often find that common sense... Mm-hmm. Even though <laughs> it's, it's not so common. Oh Lord, come on, Jesus! Um, it may not be so. Yeah, may, it's a precious commodity nowadays <laughs> in time. But yeah, often what I often do as well in our teachings or in our induction times is give them practical examples of what it could look like and then what our role is so i'm constantly bringing them back to what our role is as an ndis provider because also we're not a justice provider we're an ndis org you know so it's ndis specific so person-centered care you know to me when i think of out of home care (laughs) reminds me a lot of trauma-informed therapy so a lot of those virtues or attributes those frameworks that often overlap and if you can teach your workers to have that one or that main overarching framework, whatever situation they're presented with, whichever way the client is presenting in that day and time, they'll know exactly what to do and draw from when it comes to their experience. Once again, we're not the police. I always tell them we're not there to enforce conditions. You know, the amounts of times I've had workers call me and go, I don't want to be in trouble, so I'm just letting you know this is what happened, and I've tried to hold off as long as I can. I'm like, why? What are you holding off for? You know, oh, no, the clients had a knife to me like three times already. And I'm like, first of all, where's your incident report? Mm -hmm. Also, do a self-risk assessment. Get out of there. 
you don't have to stay there on shift. Like I'm not yeah. gonna, I'm not, I'm not gonna get you. You're not gonna get in trouble for this. Like your safety is our priority. It's kind of also framing it back and explaining to them. Maybe in your past companies, I don't know what the expectations were as well, which were quite unhealthy. But um, ultimately, natural consequences takes its place. Yeah. Which yeah, whether yeah, you're yeah. an NDIS participant or a justice participant <laughs> or whether they're buying drugs. You know, whatever way they're presenting, because they're trying to, you know, resolve some sort of issue or um, self-medicate or anesthetize any pain. Ultimately, whatever they do, natural consequence is we don't provide service if they're under the influence of drugs and alcohol, for example. I'm like, that's your guiding star. And then you just follow the process. Incident report, ensure you're safe, inform them. And then I will get back to them as well. Yeah, that, that sort of was uh, sort of coming off my, my next question that I was going to ask was <laughs> how do you handle uh, staff safety and well-being within this space? Because we're, we're as providers, we sort of focus over heavily on the participant side and forget that we've got staffing that we need to maintain and all that lovely work health and safety legislation. But at, at the end of the day, we need to make sure that. And the staff that are dealing with participants, they've got those uh, skills and resources to, to sort of be able to uh, continue through, on with it and, and have that layer of thick skin as well to be able to brush it off and then also identify when a situation may not be safe. Mm, I really, so often, even in our induction, I often give them, we have a booklet, like a manual, and it has a lot of resources from Beyond Blue and all these other organizations, you know, on mental health and what are the signs when someone's about to escalate or there's aggression. If you notice when you come on shift that your client is pacing, for example, or they're agitated, that's probably the time to begin to become more aware because um, we often do in-home care support as well. And I'm like, just to ensure that you're close to the exits at all times and that you actually know where the exits are. Um so stuff like that is probably how we try to mitigate you know, some of those issues. I think I think I really do hope I would love for the NDIS to be able to fund providers to do, you know, all this extensive training that we're meant to do on our own dollar. It really it actually I I, I would actually prefer to then pay for a mental health organization to ensure that all my staff are mental health first aid trained. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, when you look at the cost of it, it's like a thousand something dollars a <coughs> To be able to pay for all your staff to go and go do a mental health first aid is just not feasible. <laughs> Especially if you're just a direct support company, right? Mm. So I try my best <coughs> to as well invite <coughs> guests, so behavior support practitioners to come in and do maybe a piece or training piece with my staff where my staff can just have an open forum where it's an open Q&A and sometimes we hear the most interesting um, feedback but it's also bringing it back to my staff going if you don't do your incident report for example we don't have the data to go off (laughs) to justify one-on-one or training or behavior support plan so ultimately you doing your incident reports and your notes actually help you as well with mitigating that risk and ensuring you get trained so i think you have to yeah. kind of tie it in together for them so they're like oh okay that makes sense 
Yeah, that's that's a hundred percent. And I think that having that, those sort of resources within your staff handbook, that's a nice little refreshing touch. I don't think I've seen too many too many provider or staff handbooks having that sort of detail. So that, that's fantastic to see. And and how you're dealing with that, bringing in new externals to training that's that's great i'm sure the staff really appreciate that yes i think well i was a support worker and still am so i do a lot of direct supports myself so often with all our complex clients i actually do the first shift um because i'm studying their behavior and then i'm giving that to my staff so there's a bit of a care plan kind of drafted right but even being a support worker on the ground when they used to give us the handbooks that you know the generic handbook that you get from your auditing company they were horrible. It was like, I'm so sorry. It was basically like me being back in law class. And yes, I'm a solicitor, by the way. So I'm always thinking about all the legal stuff as well and the compliance. But reading a lot of those handbooks, they're so generic. They don't actually give you any practical answers or ideas of what to do. And come on, when you're a support worker, are you really going to read your 52 or 78 page document that tells you, you know, the human rights legislation about, I don't know, confidentiality or something? Nah, I'll be honest with you. I never read those handbooks at all. No, I, I, I don't think I know too many staff. Uh, mind you, I, I think you and I are the same. We go <laughs> way too deep into legislation. Yes. But uh, the general staff, they, they, it's, it's not something that most people like or absorb very easily. Yeah, yeah. well, they're, they're not great. excited about it. They're not like, ooh, the NDIA <laughs> Commission has released a new paper. I have to read this thesis document. Yeah. No. Oh, that's a review. Let's print out the 132 pages and, and, yes. and have a light reading in the evening. Yes, you know, well, I don't do that either, but I, I'm sure you do, Sam. This is why we Stop. often would be going to you. Is I, I this one? I I'll, I'll be open. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I've been going through the, the, the use quality and safeguards framework review paper, and it's wow. a big one, but I, I'm loving it. <laughs> That's, I. you know what? I honor people like you that love stuff like that. I've, I've always honored people oh, like that. We need people like Sam yes, to be do. able to synthesize the information and give it to us in human talk. Yes. And the like important parts. I don't I don't want to read all of it. Yep. It's not all relevant to me. <laughs> I just want you to tell me what's relevant to me. Just that, tell me. Just yes. tell me. Isn't that all of us? And that's why I love the summaries. The summaries are <laughs> the fantastic pieces. Yeah, yeah. I think well, that's what I used to do for law. You know, that's how I kind of <laughs> barely scraped through and passed was me just reading the executive summaries that I could find instead of actually sitting there and doing a deep dive. But I mean, but once again, going, that's why he didn't have this mark that I was expecting him to. <laughs> oh no, that's, that was all my lecturers. They were like, you're very good gift of the gab, but young man, you have not read any of the legislation. I'm like, no, I have you telling me what is important. <laughs> Thank you. See? Yes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love giving, like, in my work, because I do a lot of training with support mm. workers and support coordinators, and I love giving them tips like just hold on to your keys. Don't go into someone's house and pop them on the table. You need mm. to hold on to them. Don't wear necklaces that can be used as a choking device 
don't, you know, make sure that you you wear clothing that covers Come on. your body. <laughs> A to the men. <laughs> um, because don't I'm... wear high heels or not in close shoes. <laughs> yes. So, like, I'm big on wear what you want, but you're in a job where you need to wear practical clothing. And I... My number one thing with clothing mm. to particularly to support coordinators but it, it is for support workers as well to wear stuff that is easily cleaned mm. that you can just throw in the washing machine after your shift because you know some of the participants that we meet don't have um the cleanest of houses and that's okay. They can live how they're comfortable. There's no judgment. But then you need to be able to wash your clothes. So, and if it's dry clean only or something like that, it's it's not very practical hmm. when going no, into... Don't be wearing your Louis Vuitton shoes into a class. Come on. <laughs> this yeah. is not time for the club. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I should just bring in the, bring back bring back the active wear and uh, active wear for the staff. Yeah. I love Miss that. Days. Or, I, or the good old the polo shirts. I, I, I've still got the polo shirts from from a job a couple of years ago, and I think I wear them ninety eight percent of the time. Yes, I think um, just on the back of that, that's such a great point because um, our org we don't have any branded vehicles because I don't need to out any of my clients yeah. to the community. And also we don't have any branded T-shirts and stuff like that that we wear. So often we don't see those escalations, I think, actually because of that. So um, some of the feedback that we've heard from a lot of clients when they ask us when we're doing intake, they'll often ask us, do you guys have branded vehicles or T-shirts? Because I, And I'm like, oh, no, we don't. And they're like, oh, my God, sign me up right now. <laughs> and... They're like, oh, I want companionship. And when I'm out in the community, I don't need people or everyone knowing or looking at me very, very differently because they know, you know, that this, that's my support worker beside me, you know. Yeah. Um, and that actually helps us quite a lot. And a lot of escalations, when I used to have conversations with clients afterwards, I'd be like, what was going on? I'm like, oh, this person ended up mentioning, you know, that I have a disability and this person also had the branded T-shirt so somebody else could recognize and was like telling them even though it's a good thing like people members of the community were saying oh good job you're doing a great job with your client we don't often think of how that affects our clients mm. you know there's, it's, a, there's a great guy on linkedin called jamie shields i think and he, he posts up lots of things that we're, we're not your disability porn yes. essentially don't don't leverage our thing to make you feel better Yes. And, and I think that goes to the point because I know that when I would, uh, my mum has, has, needs care quite a lot of time. In fact, when she was in home care, we would have, before I went independent, we would have nursing staff and they would come with their big branded, we're this nursing agency or we're this community. And I'm just like, yeah, dude, it's a bit of overkill. Yes. We, we, we don't, we, we know there's people that need support, but you don't need to have your, you don't need to use our time to, brand and publicize your business yes yes and that was one of the things as well because a lot of people came to us and said our oh, trader your, your company's not going to explode or grow in any way because you're not doing avid or proper marketing you know you need the t-shirts you need the sign that that helps you and i'm like you know what i think 
for us, just the companionship and actually being there has been a great blessing. It has been a great marketing tool because one client that's happy is connected to about 10 other people, in my opinion, or 10 other, one other support coordinator who's connected to 10 other people or other support yeah. coordinators. And they end up going, you know what? This really works well, especially also with our justice clients. So when they're coming back into the community, you know, to have all eyes on them, yeah, you know, can be quite confronting, especially those who have a psychosocial disability, the anxiety levels of everyone staring at me, everyone's looking at me, and then it kind of feeds into, you know, something about to happen, you know, or them not having a great time whilst they're accessing the community. So I don't think a lot of organizations or people actually consider this when they have, you know, the brightly lumo-colored, you know, highlighter, yeah. highlighter-colored well, I mean, t-shirts. Your business development team, going for gold, that's what they're yes. there for. So good. When you're directly supporting your participants, and, and, yeah. and especially within that space as well, I think, yeah. Anonymity is key. Yes, yes. I think I said that right. <laughs> yes. No, you did. Well yes. done. I would have had a tongue twister moment. Yeah. <laughs> You read. We can see this. <laughs> it's the glasses. I use educated words. <laughs> big, big words. I will research that later. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, yeah, it's, it's refreshing to see the your approach you're taking, especially with your staff and then your direct engagement. Uh, and I love that you do the, that first initial shift as well. So then you've got an idea of what, what needs to be in the care plan. Because that initial meeting with the, the department or whoever's doing the initial referral, they don't give you the details. It's, no. it's almost as good as a, a referral a RFS from the commi- from the commission. Yes. Is this name? Is this? Is yep. a little bit of the plan. You go figure it out. Yeah. Oh, well, most of the times for us, it's kind of like, hey, um, I'll get a phone call at four o'clock in the afternoon or five. Hey, this person's been released. And I'm like, but I don't know who they are. Like, who, who is that? They have NDIS. So can you come fetch them? We've just released them. They're actually walking out of the gate right now. And you'd be surprised how many times that happens. No NDIS plan. Yes. And then they wonder, they're like, oh, they're back. And I'm like, because they were not set up for success. Like, I didn't even know about them. I don't have the NDIS plan. Are they agency managed? Like all those, are there any risks? Are there any behaviors of concern? How do I support them? Are there any areas that I need to be aware of that they're not allowed to be in? Do they have housing? Do they have ha- Do they have food? <laughs> Let's discuss housing. Oh. So right now, one of the main issues we're seeing with all the participants we're supporting, like I believe, first of all, SIL is out. It's long gone. Say goodbye. Those of you that have SIL, hold on to it. Blessings to you. I pray for you. You'll call me later. Um, <laughs> I do think that ILO is the way to go. It's the future because clients get to live alone. They get to have family intervention if they'd like. And ultimately, even with them living in a SIL, competing personalities, competing likes and interests, all those things tend to overshadow at times and play a role (laughs) in the way that the behavior is in escalation. You have hit on one of my hot button issues. Oh, have I, darling? I've also been told that I do that. Get so... I hit on hot buttons. I'm sure you're good at pressing buttons, Come on, Jesus. Sorry. Um, okay. <laughs> okay, you're going to help. Anyway, we don't press. Um, when we 
as a person, I mean, I have disabilities, but I'm not on the NDIS. Yes, yes. Um, I would not want to live with strangers and with other people. I like my own space. I like time on my own. And I, it, it makes me so angry that we force people with disabilities into shared houses just because it's cheaper. And just because they've got a disability, oh, they must want to, you know, live with other people and meet other people. No, 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 stop it. (laughs) No, more one-on-one should be granted because for the fact that I don't want to share with strangers. I don't want to share with other people. There's so many times when tenancy matching does not work and then the person who feels like you know they're the problem ends up having to move and then you just share that problem along and mm. like it and then like I've had I've had participants in the past who have been the one that have been moved from house to house to house as and it's it's terrible because a lot of our people can't take change either yes. and so just moving um, them from house to house is mm. just sucks yes why are PTSD just thinking about how, uh, and, and at least and having to deal with moving or resizing yes. you or, 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 or just even updating my damn license and address on it I which know. I still haven't done <laughs> <laughs> okay so all your mail's going somewhere else but anyway um <laughs> don't <laughs> open yeah, his mail joy. Don't open his mail. No, I think, um, yeah, so this is a trend I've seen. We only have one sill home. We have one. And even within that sill home, the amount of issues that will often arise just because of, and even though we've matched the clients appropriately, they like each other, they get along, they now understand each other's quirks and, you know, little <laughs> routines and stuff like that. Because um, we have multiple um participants that may have ASD this is also becoming more and more prevalent we're becoming more and more aware of it you know that a lot of so I'm seeing this diagnosis or you know comorbidity or whatever um more prevalent or more often now with diagnoses when people have their plans come out um and then also having to explain and educate everybody on this is why this person is like this this is how they operate this is the environment that they need to thrive but I would say ILO and drop-in support is the future. Yeah. And so we have a couple of units and it's worked really well. Are those units in Sydney? They are in Sydney. We are reaching out because we're expanding our services to Wollongong, to Newcastle, to Queensland or Brisbane and to Gold Coast. So very, very soon I'll be getting units as well. I... I'm advocating quite strongly against the soul, even though people are like, you should do it. There's so much, you know, it's so good. It's financially viable. I'm like, is it? Because from what I'm seeing, a lot of clients aren't getting soul anymore. Yeah. And so they kind of need to rely on the DSP. And I'm thinking ILO is just the way to go. And they can live alone. They can have their own music. They can, you know, do their own furniture. It's just, when I look at the right to self-determination, independent units or granny flats are the way to go and if i was that person or individual put me in a granny flat there's no way 
this big personality wants to be with somebody else. No. Because when I want the toilet, I need the toilet. <laughs> I don't have time to share with anybody. You know, and, Jamie. And when, it's a, when it's a hot day and I want to walk around in my clothes or as minimum clothes as possible, <laughs> I, I want to do that. Do you know what I mean? Like, or you're watching Netflix and you're watching a show and you're commenting and you're quite loud and you're eating your popcorn and you want to be a little messy and have your chocolate on the side. I, I just... I just don't see it anymore. It was great back then because it was like, oh, we're going to community. You know, you're not isolated. And I get it for that aspect. But from what I can see, mm -mm, this new generation, we like to be on these no. streets alone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I went to boarding school and I think the first thing I did was I am never living with another person again. Okay. Admittedly, I did. And still do, but um, yeah, that having that independence and then it, it, it's it's fantastic. But I think the other problem with, with still is when you have to change or when you have a um a participant change, it not only has an impact on that participant moving, but it has a, an impact on the dynamic in the household because they've got to get used to having an empty va a vacancy sort of thing and having to go through that the roommate search type yes. of thing and. And who's going to be the right person? And what if there's like three rooms and the, the two people that there don't necessarily want Joe. the same yep. sort of thing person yeah. in, in, in the mix? So it, there's a lot. There's a lot that don't, doesn't get considered in the bigger picture with it. So I, I think I, I do think you definitely have some foundation on there about the moving to Iowa. Well, do you know what? Ultimately, as a, this is not a hard and fast rule that I'm saying, you know, should be blanketly applied to every, every it's, not, it's not unanimous research that I'm going off here or stats. <laughs> but what I am saying is that if the option was there for someone to want to live in a silver shed home and be with other clients and that's just the type of person they are, awesome, go for it. We should do silver. But what I have seen is we're kind of lagging behind because often when I speak to planners, we're all scratching our heads trying to figure out how we're going to find them and match them appropriately to a SIL or to a provider. And then what happens again is we have an added complexity because providers may have matched them. But as you said, there's not a lot of information that we get and it's not proper information like from a therapist or an OT report, which gives a deep dive into their personality <laughs> or their interest in their hobbies, you know, like sometimes there's basic things there, but that changes and evolves with time as well. So if that's ultimately what they desire, yes, put the choice and control truly there and say, would you like to live alone? Would you like to live shared? We'll work out the drop in support funding and, you know, off we all go. But we can hope and pray. Who knows? We'll see what happens after October when the review when the review comes out. Mm. Yeah. I think a lot of providers are going to be upset with me today after they listen to me say this. So, blessings. Sadly, I don't really care. I'll have a glass of wine to you. Blessings. Well, it, it, it provides a new a new challenge challenge thought and thought stream there. So I think it's it's probably not something that a lot of providers have really thought the impact of so it's it's good to get that conversation starting nonetheless and as you said there's definitely those people that i, I know back when i was 18 I, I i thrived on being around people i didn't like being isolated yep. but then you sort of now i'm kind of like oh i do like my space and that but yeah there's 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 room for both
both options. As you said, definitely giving that choice and control back to the individual and having those options, not necessarily going still only type of thing. Sam, we're going to lose you in a minute because my computer has run out of battery. (laughs) Okay. This is a really, like, we're doing at home type of podcast and it shows that, you know, bit behind the scenes. My charging... in Sydney, they're in Queensland. Yeah. My charging cable is in my office, not... And we're at my home. Um, And Sam's shaking his head at me. So we're about to lose (laughs) Sam, so I'll... um, That's all right. We'll finish off here... Uh, we'll say goodbye to you and then we're going to finish off the podcast and then you'll have to listen to it like everybody else. Looking forward to it. But, yeah, thank you very much, Sandy, for coming along. And um, Sorry I couldn't be up there in person. But, yeah, no, it's been great talk- talking to you and hearing what you guys do. A family cho- a pe- 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 Chosen right. family. A chosen family. Other way around. <laughs> well, I just coming out. Families that um, are chosen. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll think of another name. We'll rebrand. Jamie, sorry. <laughs> just, just do it. Whole rebranding. Just for Sam. No, yeah, he's like, there's no way. I, I don't have the time. <laughs> but I think what, what this means, the universe is probably trying to tell us that we need to do another one. Possibly. Let's yes. go. Let's bring it on. Ne- next time you are in Brisbane, we're definitely going to sit together all in person. Yep. Be lovely. Sounds like a plan. Well, I'll leave you two to finish off and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah. Ciao, Bello. Thanks. Bye. Oh. <laughs> okay, so I have one last question mm. for you. In your ideal world with your magic wand, mm. what would you like the NDIS to look like? Ooh. Or slash, what, like, what would you change? What would you like to see? Oh, there's so much. I think I mentioned one of them earlier, the training. If that could be funded, it would be great. Yes. Because what we could do is we could have an overlap between mental health organizations um, and the NDIS, and then maybe also homelessness and justice. So training around all of these the the various parts of the social sector is so important often we're kind of just focused on the ndis and the disability and then we forget that um we're trying to provide holistic care but we don't have an understanding and the most of the times i was support coordinator so i know this as well it's so hard then trying to understand the homelessness world and housing mm. and then trying to understand maybe drug and alcohol interventions and where are those options for my client then the lgbtqia community you know so i think if it was more intersectional in the sense of having an awareness of someone's varying identities that would be amazing yes. so if we could talk to one another in the social services sector if we could truly collaborate that would be great that's my ideal world because that means ultimately the participant is truly going to be taken care of holistically mm-hmm. and all of us will know we can cross pollinate and be like oh i need to leverage on that person's strength because that's their domain and that's their field yeah so it would be great if that actually could happen mm-hmm. and then i also do think with 
the housing situation, as we just spoke about exhaustively, um, it would be great if we could really start looking at ways in the future, you know, um, to adjust and accommodate where we're currently going. And then if the review process could be a little, little easier, it would be great. Um, it would be great to bring back some of the humanity. Often when I'm talking to planners, I'm fighting with planners about um, the, the, the human aspect of the actual individual. That was not an NDIS plan we're talking about, that we're talking about, and I bring the person's name into it. Yes. Um, and I tell them a little bit about the person. Sometimes I even send them a photo. Mm. And I ask often occupational therapists, behavior support therapists, please place a photo of that person on the front of their, their ah, actual report. Interesting. And I try to bring back that humanity yeah. to and the dignity to this actual individual that we're discussing. We're not talking about a plan and some inanimate object. We're talking about a beautiful, complex, interesting, fun individual. Yes. Yes. And I think to add to that, like, um, for the call centre to understand a bit more about trans issues, Ooh. like the name mm. and also that the voice may not necessarily, but if they have yes. all the information, you can talk to that person. Yes. It's, it's something that I found pretty frustrating um, and that someone's chosen name, if, even if they haven't legally changed, changed it, it they should be able to have their chosen name on their plan. On their plan, yes. And so that's also something that, yeah, I mean, we spoke about this earlier before this podcast. Um, it would be great if there was also more training dedicated, you know, like some of the larger organizations like your Trans Hub, your ACON, the training that they provide to corporate Australia if that was um, dispersed and that training was also provided to the NDIA, it would be great. Yes. Because then everyone would have that competency of understanding pronouns and stuff like that as well. And even the process of changing your name in different states means different things. Yes. So that's also frustrating, you know, because you could call someone from the NDIS and they could be in a completely different state and have a different understanding of our community. Yes. And there is no one, you know, one training that's going to truly encompass or have a robust understanding of everyone in our community because we're all different. We're all so, so vastly different. Our needs, our perspective, all of those things, our culture, all influences how we see ourselves and view our community and the community at large. But it would be great if we started with a basic framework. I think... You guys all here have rainbow tick, right? You have that standard. Oh, yes. The rainbow tick standard, which is great. Sydney, come on. We're, we're, we're lagging behind in that. So when I heard about Melbourne and Queensland, you know, adopting this framework, I was like, that's amazing that yeah. at least there's some reference point for you. Whereas where we're from in Sydney, yeah, it doesn't get discussed. Yeah, I'd also love to see more um, organizations actually like us. Yes. Because, you know, we're, we are LGBTQIA specific, apparently. Yes. Um, and I've heard, because currently I also do visit uh, often the community engagement team at ACON. And so they'll often have anything disability 
they'll contact and reach out to me and I'll kind of consult for them and just give them some free advice on what to do with plan managers and yeah. reviews and what it will look like with public guardians. It would be great if we had more people advising organizations like that as well. But the, as yes. I was saying, that cross-pollination of yes. disability and you know sexuality and gender and that competency would be great. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here and agreeing to do the podcast. Um, Where can people find you? Oh, my God. Every social media platform, I think. This stage, uh, Chosen Family is on LinkedIn, we're on Instagram, and we're on Facebook. Um, We have a phenomenal website. I'm not just saying that because my partner made the website, but he's very good and talented. Um, the website is as colorful and eclectic as us. Um, so I think when people hop onto the website, you know, Chosen Family, if you go on Google, type in Chosen Family Australia or Chosen Family Disability, it'll bring us up or else you'll see the song by Elton John <laughs> come up first, <laughs> which is amazing, by the way. That's our theme song, so I'm claiming it. Elton, darling, thank you for writing a song about us. Um, so, yes, they can reach out to us or you can search me up, Trady Naidu. Um, and you'll see my name's tied to Chosen Family. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Please share with people you know. You can email us at whatinthendispod at gmail.com. To contact me, it's hannah at tulipcoordination.com.au. And to contact Sam, it's sam at rosenbaum.consulting. Until next time, as the Green Brothers say, don't forget to be awesome.